Good morning. So, God isn't letting me get past talking about expectation quite yet. Um, and in fact, the, uh, the first time I was up here talking and uh, had talked about expectation, I knew that God, God wanted to create a, a clear picture, a clear image of what he wanted us to expect for our lives, for, for this year and, and beyond. Um, and I think today he wants, he, wants us to, he wants to help us remove some of the barriers that we've placed on our expectation. So, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do we love God? Amen. We, we love God. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. So from these verses we can see <clears throat> that God's plans for us, what he, what he has prepared for us, are beyond what we can see, hear, or imagine. Without him, on our own, we, can't, we couldn't figure it out. And there's, there's other verses in the Bible um, that I don't have time to get into that also tell us that God's plans for us are beyond our ability to accomplish on our own without him. And God has, been, God has been dealing with me again. And he's been dealing with me on some plans that he has been revealing to me over the last couple of years. And what he's been dealing with me about is I've, I had let those plans, I'd set them aside. I had quit pursuing them because they were so crazily impossible. I, I couldn't see how I could go from where I am now to the crazy plans that uh, that I, I you know I had thought that he would had been revealing to me and I and I had I had figured those couldn't be God I mean I can't I couldn't see like I said I couldn't see how to get from here to there so I figured I must have just made it up but what he's been revealing to me is that it's those impossible dreams, it's those impossible plans that are more than likely from God. Just think about it. Would God, would God give us for our, our life, our life, life plan, our life dreams, something that we could fulfill and accomplish on our own, in our own ability, without Him? And I contend, and I think we can see from the word, that that answer is, is no. He purposely has plans for us. He's created plans for us that are far beyond what we could accomplish on our own. Far beyond what we could accomplish without him. And it's because of that, because they're so far out there, it, it causes us to search for him, to strive for him, to seek him. So just like... 
the promises in his word require faith for us to acquire them. God's plans and promises for us also require faith for us to acquire them and cause them to come to pass in our lives. So we need to, we need to raise our expectation. God's plans are big for each and every one of us. They're amazing. And they're impossible for us to fulfill on our own. So what we need to do is we need to raise our expectation so that we expect God to reveal those plans to us by his Spirit. And we expect him to fulfill them in us by his ability and his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I know, I know this wasn't about finances so much, but for an offering message, but this is what I feel God has on, he's put on my heart to share. So, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, for your goodness, for your mercy, for the impossible dreams and visions and plans that you have for us. Father God, we lay hold, we lay hold of those plans by faith. We expect you to do great things in our lives. And we know that you can, you can do great things in, in our finances. You can bless us beyond what we can hope, think, or ask. So, Father God, I, I ask you to bless these tithes and offerings. Father God, multiply them. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. It was Jamie. Yes, that was Jamie. Uh, children, you're dismissed for your classes. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We sure do love you guys. You are amazing. It's because your parents are amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, so just uh, as a quick, quick recap, remember this, this year we're doing doctrine, going through step by step place by place, idea by idea, concept by concept. 
of doctrine. Why do we believe what we believe? What do we believe? And then why do we believe it? Started out talking about the Bible. We spent the whole month of January talking about uh, why we can trust the Bible, why we believe it, how did we get it, and how, do we can, how can we trust that it is what God intended for us to have. And we came to a conclusion that we do have the Word of God, and it is applicable then to our life. And the Word of God speaks about God. It's a specific revelation Specific, remember there's general revelation and specific revelation. General revelation means everything you see around us, everything that you see in nature, everything that you see around us, screams that there's a God. That there's something out there bigger than ourselves that wants us to know him. So then, as that's the specific revelation, and then, uh, or that's general revelation, and then specific revelation is, here is what God is revealing about himself. And we get that from the Bible. He tells us who he is. And last week we talked about that God exists. He is. He, he is who he says he is. And in the beginning it says, in the beginning, God. God was in the beginning. God started this whole thing moving forward. And now what we want to look at today is, what's he like? This God that we are, are seeking after, that we are worshiping, what is he like? What's his character? What's his nature? What is he like? Because if he's the God of the Bible, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, he's huge. I mean, he's massive. His, his power is without end. He's just, he is so much bigger and more powerful and, more, and, and scary than we could ever imagine. And a lot of people go through life being afraid of God. But there's another side too. Okay, So we're going to look at that. I want to begin with Psalm chapter 107.1 because it's just good to worship God. God is good. Psalm 107 verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. God is good. So, the doctrine of God, what we believe about God, what you believe about God, is going to be the center point of everything else you believe. If you think that God is a big, scary, mean, you know, avenging God or revenging God, then your everything that you do, how you live your life, will be spent from starting from that starting point. If you believe that God is a loving, uh, a, a desire, a God who desires for you to know Him personally, a God who who cares about your the thing, your life and how things are working out for you, then you're going to look at God and you're going to look at the rest of your life from that standpoint. The doctrine of God is the central point for the rest of theology. One's view of God might even be thought as to supply the whole framework within, within which one's theology is constructed and life is lived. There's a popular country song that says it this way, God's going to get you for that. God's going to get you for that. Ain't no use running and hiding because God's going to get and knows where you're at. 
insurance companies with their references to the acts of God, always catastrophic occurrences, seems to have a powerful, malevolent being in mind. The opposite view that God is big grandfather, teddy bear, warm fuzzy, is also prevalent. Here, God is conceived as an indulgent, kindly old gentleman. How many of you are old enough to remember George Burns? <laughs> the rest of you, ask them. <laughs> Who never wanted to detract from humans' enjoyment of life. There are many other false conceptions of God that need to be corrected if our spiritual lives are to have any real meaning or depth. So, it's two things we need to emphasize, two, two specific points that we need to start from. Because to understand God, we understand, need to understand who he is and how he relates to us. The first one is the idea, and here's, here's where the buck and a quarter words come in. Uh, I'll try to help you and try to, try to make it as easy as possible, but there's every once in a while we have to learn the big words. And the big words are those that, that, uh, that when you say them, you'll just impress people when you know what these words mean. The first of these is the, is the doctrine of God's imminence. Imminence. Have you ever, you've heard that word when uh, somebody really important walks in and they say, oh, your imminence. Your, your magnitude, your, your amazingness, your wonderfulness. Your, the imminence is this, is this overpowering sense of awe. That, we, that God, and he does, have that about him. I mean, my goodness, when you think about the verses that talk about that God holds everything in the palm of his hand, that's big. That's amazing. And that being is worthy of honor. His imminence is a, is a concept, and we'll break these down and make them very chewable uh, in our talk today. The other side of him is his transcendence. His transcendence is that he is everywhere. He's everywhere. He's, he, he's beyond what we can understand. Imminence talks about how he, we can relate to him, and transcendence is that he's above and beyond all things. All right. Jeremiah 23, 23 says, I, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can, I, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? So God is saying he knows where every person is. He knows, the, the, Jesus said, he knows the very hairs on your head. The number of them. Some are easier than others. But he knows everything about you. Your innermost thought, your, your concerns, your fears, your, your who you are specifically. And yet he fills everything. He's everywhere and right here all at the same time. I heard somebody say one time, well, how could God be like that? How could he be, be thinking about every human being on the earth at the same time? And I heard a, a scientist describe that even a, 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 an atom, how a, an atom is built and that the protons and the neutrons are spinning around the nucleus of an atom billions of times per second. So if God created a... a, a 
That's the scientific term, if you want to write that down. <laughs> that, can, that can move that quickly, circling billions of times a second around the, the nucleus of that atom. Why wouldn't he, his mind be able to conceive your very thoughts at any moment, at any time? He's directly involved with, your, with every moment of your life, but then again, he's also directly involved with every moment of everything's existence. Wow. That's amazing. Both imminence and transcendence appear in that same verse. Jeremiah 23.3, Am I a God at hand, and yet not a God far away? He's in both places. Paul told the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, yet he is, he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our very being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. On the other hand, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, we read that God's thoughts and ways are, transcend us. They go beyond us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. The meaning of imminence is that God is present and active within his creation, and within the human race, even those members of it that do not believe or obey him. He even knows the thoughts of someone who rejects him. He cares about them. He's, he wants them to come into relationship with him. His desire is towards them, and he's doing, he has done everything that he can do to restore that relationship, but his desire is for them to be in relationship with him. Everyone. His influence is everywhere. He is at work in and through natural processes. Things that are happening every day, he's involved in. Which is opposite, than what, that, what, opposite of what some people think. Some people think that God is a big distance, you know, he's there, he's powerful and everything, but he really doesn't care about you and I. He started, he started everything, and he's just going to judge you for what you do. But, you know, good luck with your everyday life. I'll see you when you die. That's not God. God is, is involved directly every moment of every day in your life and in everyone's lives. The meaning of transcendence is that God is not merely a quality of nature or of humanity. He is not simply the biggest and highest human being. He's so much more than that. He is not limited to our ability to understand him. His holiness and goodness go far beyond, infinitely beyond ours. And this is true of the knowledge and power as well. Just because, and I, and I really appreciate what Brian said this morning, just because you think that God is this big does not make him so. We are not limited by what we can imagine God to be. If you can imagine, we talked about this last week when talking about the ontological argument. You think about the biggest possible, amazing, beyond description, God uh, uh, entity in the universe, and he's much bigger than that. Infinitely. 
I've said this many times, both in church and and to individuals. We will spend, I believe, eternity learning about God. We will never come to the end of him. That is absolutely amazing. We start talking about these things in, in this context, and our minds pop. You ever seen Mars Attacks? I bet you never thought you could use that reference in a church service. You'll have to watch it. Mars attacks. How they, how they beat the Martians. It's beautiful. Yodeling. I knew it would do it. It is important to keep these two doctrines together. It isn't just that he's one or the other. It's not that he's just a, a, a personal God, a God who cares about you and in this small space and, and he's dealing only with you, but he's that and he's also the big transcendent God. He's both. And by trying to separate them out, our mind tries to make sense of it, but we're wrong. Everybody say that real quick. I'm wrong. Most of our understanding of God is wrong. We hate to say that kind of stuff. We hate to admit the fact that I might be wrong. But the truth is, is that we only understand a small part. Paul wrote, he says, I see through a glass darkly. What I understand of God is so small, and even that is just barely, because he's even more than you could ever hope, think, or ask. God is present and active within his creation, yet he is also transcendent to it. He is a totally different being. A totally different being than you and I. He is divine. He is divine. God uses miracles to fulfill his will on the earth, but he's also not restricted to it. He will completely blow your mind with a miracle. He will go beyond what we understand. It's not beyond the natural because if, it's, if he's doing it, then it's part of the supernatural, which is even more natural than what we experience. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't just use the everyday common things like work. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. He even uses ordinary, unbelieving humans such as kings and and leaders and mayors and so on, whom he describes as, and he's talking about Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 44, as his shepherd, his anointed. He uses technology and human skill and learning. Yet it is important to bear in mind that the truth that God is transcendent, he is infinitely more than any natural or human event. That's why when we start talking about things in in the future, when we get to... Uh, the summer, later on in the summer, we'll talk about things like healing, doctrines of healing. When we talk about that, we can't just assume, well, we're going fully from the Bible, so that means that everything, that, that God operates in miracles, and miracles only. Because we start doing that, and we negate the fact that he has given individuals wisdom and knowledge. Now, there are whole denominations that will say, don't ever go to the doctor. That's not faith by going to the doctor. I believe it's wrong. Praise God for doctors. Praise God for knowledge and wisdom that he's given to individuals 
to do what they can do led by him. I mean, praise God, there were doctors that knew what to do until, until what I believe a miracle happened. But he kept my wife and child alive until the miracle happened. Praise God. It's both. And to say that it's both is not making God smaller. It's making our understanding of him more clear. And it's a good way to stay off of 60 minutes on uh, Sunday nights. If you know what I mean by that. He, if we emphasize imminence too much, we may identify everything that happens as God's will and working. As did some German Christians who in the 1930s regarded Adolf Hitler's policies as God working in the world. Not everything that happens is God's will, his perfect will, his, his, what he wants to have happen. God did not intend for six million Jews to be exterminated. He didn't. And many other things that we can't look at something and go, oh, that's God's, you know, that's God. It happened, so it's God's will. Sorry. But on the same time, natural things do happen. And how do we deal with that? That's for a later teaching down the road. We must bear in mind that there is a separation between God's holiness and much of what happens in the world today. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that was perfect. God created it perfect. He looked at it. He created everything, including man, including woman. He created everything and looked at it and said, it is good. And then he rested. His work was done. He rested. He told man, you now have authority in the earth. You go subdue it. You go be the ruler of it. And man gave over that rulership to the devil he trusted the devil the serpent instead of trusting god to do what god told him to do and when he did that evil entered the world sin sin entered our human existence and because of that even nature was subjected to sinful to to, or subjected to sin the Bible says that even the creation groans for, the, for the, the sons of God to be revealed. It's wanting to be free of this decay and death that's taking over, has been taking over for thousands of years. It was not God's plan, his purpose for sin to answer, enter the world. If we emphasize transcendence, however... Or too much, however, we may expect God to work miracles at all times, while he may purpose instead to work through our effort. We may intend to mistreat the creation, forgetting that he himself is present and active there. We may depreciate the value of what non-Christians do, or their, or their possession of some degree of sensitivity to the message of the gospel, forgetting that God is at work and in touch with them. One of the biggest uh, criticisms of a belief system like ours, you know, we, what, what, what would we call ourselves? We're, we're full gospel, 
We're Christian, obviously. We are full gospel. We, are, we believe in the full Bible, that the Bible, the Bible says it. It's, it is what's true. It is who we are. It is what we believe. We believe that, that we are faith people, people that believe by faith that God does things and doesn't do things, you know, that he, he were in partnership with him. But one of the biggest criticisms came out of teachings that said, God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And people took that, and that's a true Bible verse, but then took that to an extreme that says, I don't have to do anything because God shall supply all my needs. And they ended up staying home and waiting for a check to stop to show up in the mail. Quit going to work. Wait a second. You know, there's a whole bunch of other Bible that talks about going to work and being faithful. Will God miraculously meet your needs? Yeah, I believe he will. But he also expects you to work. Be responsible. It's both. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's right here. He's involved, and he wants us to be involved with day-to-day life. Us to be responsible and to be a witness to those around us. How do we do that? By with our feet up in a lazy boy waiting for a check to show up. Doesn't happen. But it's both. God working in both. So, what are the implications of imminence? What does that mean? Divine imminence of the limited degree taught in the Scripture carries several implications. Number one, God is not limited to working directly to accomplish His purpose. While it is very obviously a work of God when His people pray and miraculous, miraculous healing occurs, it is also God's work when through the application of medical knowledge, a skilled physician is successful in bringing a patient back to health. Medicine is part of God's general revelation, and the work of the doctor is a channel of God's activity. Praise God for doctors. Number two, God may use persons and organizations that are not avowedly Christian. In biblical times, God did not limit himself to working through the covenant nation of Israel or through the church. He even used Assyria, a pagan nation, to bring chastening upon Israel. He is able to use secular or nominally Christian organizations, even non-Christians, to do some genuinely good and commendable things. To think that he doesn't use organizations that, are, you know, that don't have a cross on their, on their logo or Christian name in their title does not, that's, just, that's, that's cutting short, really, the power and the glory of God. He works through all kinds of people. For his will to be accomplished and fulfilled. Number three, we should have an appreciation of, for God or for all that God has created. The world is God and he, and he is present and active within it. While it has been given to man, humankind to be used to satisfy their legitimate needs, they ought to not exploit it for their own pleasure or out of greed. The doctrine of divine imminence, therefore, has ecological application. It also has implications regarding our attitudes to other people. God is genuinely present within everyone, although not in the special sense in which he indwells in Christians. 
Therefore, no one is to be despised or treated disrespectfully. And my goodness, that happens way too much. Especially by Christians. It doesn't matter if they are the worst sinner in the world. They are made in the image of God. And they deserve respect. For that reason. They are valuable. They are people. They're not just marks for evangelism. They are people. We need to respect that. And the nature, I mean, you know, we, we, we think that, well, every tree hugger, oh, they are so annoying. They may be, but if we don't take care of our world, then who will? If, if, if the ones that God has given the, the responsibility to be stewards of this earth, if we don't take care of it, what does that say about our God? It's both. We need, to, we need to be able to use what we need, but we also need to be good stewards of it. And good stewards are not selfish, greedy, or destructive. You can use the resources, but at the same time, being good stewards of them. Amen? It's both. Number four. We can learn something from God from His creation all that has been brought into being by God and further is actively indwelt by him. We may therefore detect clues about what God is like by observing the behavior of the created universe. For example, a definite pattern of logic seems to, be apply, seems to apply within the creation. There is an orderliness, a regularity about it. Those who believe that God is sporadic, arbitrary, whimsical by nature, and that his actions are characterized by paradox and even contradiction, either have not taken a close, close look at the behavior of the world or have assumed that God is in no sense operating there. God's holiness and goodness go far beyond, infinitely beyond ours, and this is true of his knowledge and power as well. I've thought about that a lot with with the creation of the earth. I've been over the last couple of weeks, I taught about it last week, that there, there was a big bang. But there was a big banger who started the big bang. When he said, let there be light, I guarantee you there was a bang. There was movement. Things started happening. And it isn't, isn't it amazing that when he said, let there be light, the very nature of light began to exist, and that has continued on ever since. It wasn't just a, a, he doesn't have to keep creating light. When he spoke, it had enough power that things have been lit ever since. That is amazing. And when he said, let there be firmaments, when he said planets and stars, that the, the physical properties of them, the, the natural order of how they, the gravity works, and gravity works the same here as it does other places. It's a different levels of gravity, but it's still gravity. That's how they can know. That's how they can know how big a planet is or how small it is or how, how fast it rotates is because natural law happens. And when he spoke, it happened. He didn't have to sit there and go, okay, now this law is going to work and this law and this law. And he had to dictate all, every law for every piece of, 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 uh, of debris flying around the universe. No, he said, let there be. 
And the power of his words continue on even today. That is amazing. God's imminence means that there are points at which the gospel can make contact with the unbeliever. If God is to some extent present and active within the whole of created world, he is present and active within humans who have not made a personal commitment of their lives to him. Thus, there are points at which they will be sensitive to the truth of the gospel message. Places where, they'll be re- all, where they are already in touch with God's working. Evangelism aims to find those points and direct the message to them. Years ago, I was in Jamaica, and I've been thinking about Jamaica lately because it's warm. <laughs> it helps me get through the day-to-day. One of the early trips, I went there three different times on mission trips. The can't remember which one it was, but we were on the beach enjoying a beach day. And as life goes, a Rastafarian came walking down the beach with a big armful of trinkets and things and wanted to sell them. Hello, man, how you doing? How are you? It goes on and on and on. And I said, no, I don't want to buy anything because I don't like to buy trinkets on, on trips. It's just some people do, I don't, but that's just me. So I'm just trying to talking to him, and he's trying to get me to buy, and he's putting on the hard sell. And I said, hey, I said, I have something for you. Oh, really? What do you have for me, man? And I said, well, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Oh, and if you know anything about Rastas, they are Jesus Christ. That's their belief system. They believe that they are God. He goes, I am am Jesus Christ. And I said, no, you're not. That sounded Indian, didn't it? I wasn't trying to be Indian. I'll stop with the voices. That'll probably help. Translated all the way to India and then got no. So I started telling him about the gospel. He was saying, oh, I am Jesus Christ. He's quoting scriptures. I'm quoting scriptures. We're going back and forth. Nothing is happening. I'm gaining zero ground. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, the imminent one, the one who is in us and active and and being a part of our every moment, speaks to my spirit and says, tell him you know something about him. And I went, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> By faith, I said, hey, man, I just want to tell you something. God just told me that I know something about you. Oh, yeah, what, 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 what? I said, you have been seeking after him. And you have an emptiness inside that has never been filled with, with Rastafarianism or drugs or any of those kinds of things. But you have been desiring deep in your heart to meet the one true God. And it's him who's speaking to you through me right now. And the man changed. Everything went limp. He just hung his head. And he says, I have to go. I have to go. I said, no, don't go. He was touched by the living God. Not me. But by the imminent God who was already dealing within his heart. God was already drawing him. He cared about him even though he was rejecting the one true God. He cared about him enough to bring somebody across his path to meet him and to be that voice. That's who our God is. The implications of transcendence. 
The doctrine of transcendence has, very, has several inf- implications which will affect our other beliefs and practices. There is something higher than human beings. Oh, great. I thought we were the most important thing in the universe. Good, truth, and value are not determined by the shifting flux of this world and human opinion. There is something which gives value to humankind, and that is God. God can never be completely captured in human concepts. This means that all of our doctrinal ideas, helpful and basically correct, though they may be, cannot fully exhaust God's nature. He is not limited by our understanding of Him. Our salvation is not achievement, is not our achievement. We are not able to raise ourselves to God's level by fulfilling his standards for us, even if we were able to do so, it still would not be our accomplishment. The very fact that we know what he expects of us is a matter of his revelation to us, not our discovery. Jesus said, you can only come to me if the Father draws you. He is the one who is in control of it. He is the one who leads us and draws us and directs us to him. You don't just wake up one day and go, okay, it's time for me to get to know God. He's worked into my schedule finally. I'm gonna, now I'm going to let him come into my life. Okay, God, I'm ready for you. No. You wouldn't even know there is a God if it wasn't for him. He revealed himself to you. There will always be a difference between God and human beings, even in eternity. There will still be him and us. A gap between us is not merely a moral and spiritual disparity which originated originated with the fall. It is a metaphysical stemming from creation. Even when redeemed and glorified, we are still, we will still be human creatures, his human creatures, we will never become God. He is God, always will be. Reverence is appropriate in our relationship with him. Some worship rightfully stressing the joy and confidence that the believer has in relationship to a loving Heavenly Father goes beyond that point to an excessive familiarity, treating him as an equal, or worse yet, as a servant. If we have grasped the fact of the divine transcendence, however, this will not happen. While there is room and need for enthusiasm of our expression and perhaps even exuberance, that should never lead to a loss of respect. Our prayers will also be characterized by reverence rather than making demands. We will pray as Jesus did. Not my will, but thine be done. God is not a vending machine. Push the button, he acts appropriately. He is God. Will he move on our behalf? Oh, absolutely he will. But it's in a basis of reverence and awe and following him according to his leading and good pleasure. 
And he will meet your needs exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ever hope, think, or ask. But it's because he's God. Not that we somehow have figured out how to make God work for us. It's not true. We will look for genuinely transcendent working by God. Thus, we will not expect that only those things that can can be accomplished by natural means will come to pass. So we won't give up on the fact that God is involved in us, in our lives. We don't just go, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm relegated to having whatever happens around me, that's what's going to happen. No, God wants to move miraculously. He does both. While we use every available technique of modern learning to accomplish God's ends, we will never cease to be dependent upon his own working. If all we believed in was miracles, then we could just say, I need to go to Hungary tomorrow, so God, translate me to Hungary. Show me a miracle, God, translate me to Hungary. No, I better buy a ticket. Praise God for airlines. Praise God for first class and for that you know, exit row with a big long leg room. I'd love to be translated. Don't get me wrong. That would be wonderful. Translate. What do you mean by translate? There's, there's, no, it's translated. That is the actual term, the actual theological term. It's, remember when, when uh, uh, there's a few of them. Yeah, Philip. When Philip was, what, he was baptizing this guy and all of a sudden he's somewhere else. In the Old Testament, uh, the uh, prophet Elijah, Elisha, what they, they said, well, go, the, the king Ahab said, go get me that guy, you know, that, that prophet. It's either Elijah or Elisha. And they said, we can't do that. Every time we go to try to find him, he shows up somewhere else. God kept picking him up and moving him supernaturally. It happens. But if we're waiting for that, you're going to get real used to being at home. We use both. Okay, if God needs to get me there quick, it's going to be fun and freaky. So, he does both. But we need to be ready to do it with him. So what are the attributes of God? The attributes. What is God like? While our understanding of God is undoubtedly filtered through our own mental framework, his attributes are not our conceptions projected upon him. They are objective characteristics of his nature. The attributes are inseparable from who he is, the being or the essence of God. When we speak of the incomprehensibility of God, then we do not mean that there is an unknown being or essence beyond or behind his attributes. Rather, we mean that we do not know his qualities or his nature completely and exhaustively. Isn't that an amazing thought? You may have experienced the love of God in your life. You, hopefully you have. Hopefully you've, you've, you've experienced that, that overwhelming understanding that he loves you. And it fills your ever, every being. The great thing is, is that no, much, no matter how much you understand that God loves you, he loves you more. Okay, I don't think you got that one. That one should have brought you out of your chair. I know it's Sunday morning and it's, you know, we don't do that kind of thing here. But no matter how much you understand the greatness and the power and the love and, the, and everything about God, he's bigger than even that. 
It doesn't mean that, we, that, he, that there's something out there that is unknowing. No, it just means you don't know it yet. And eternity, that's what's going to be cool about eternity, is we'll continue to understand more His love, and more His love, and more His love, and more His love, and more, and more, and more. And if I kept saying more for eternity, it wouldn't be enough to show you how much He loves you. So our understanding here on earth that God doesn't like me is wrong. Everybody say wrong. Wrong. Yeah. He loves us. He's not, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. That's the right understanding of him. When we speak, where while his self-revelation is doubtless consistent with his full nature and, and, and accurate, or full nature and accurate, it is not an exhaustive revelation. Further, we do not totally understand or know comprehensively that, that which he has revealed to us of himself. That's why we need to continue to have our mind renewed with the washing of the water of the word. So with some modifications, the classification adopted for this study is that, a, that of a natural and moral attributes. The moral attributes are those which in the human context could relate or would relate to the concept of rightness as opposed to wrongness. Holiness, love, mercy, faithfulness are examples. Natural attributes are the non-metal superlatives of God, such as his knowledge and power. So instead of talking about nature and, mora- and, um, and the natural and the morale, let's talk about the greatness and the goodness of God. No way I can go through all of this. That's why I give you more information. Read this stuff. Me, you know, meditate on these things. I'm going to go very quickly through these headings. But there is so much more information that you're going to need to be able to get a bigger grasp of who God is. The greatness of God. Spirituality. Among the most basic of God's attributes of greatness is the fact that He is a spirit. That is, he is not composed of matter and does not possess a physical nature. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now it goes on to talk about, well, wait wait a second. We We have seen, people have seen a physical example or a physical representation of God. And the Bible talks about his hands, his feet, and so on and so forth. There's a good explanation beyond this that talks about he did that, and there's, there's names for it. When In the Old Testament, when Jesus would show up on a situation, he didn't call himself Jesus, but we know theologically it was. It was God coming in human form. They're called theophanies. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can become a human form, but he's not, he's not only able to be in human form. He is spirit. But he transcends. He is beyond that. The greatness of God has to do with that God is alive, life. This is affirmed in Scripture in several ways, several different ways. His very name. When, when uh, Moses asked him, if they ask me who's sending me, what should I say? And God said, I am indicates that he is a living God. 
He is existent. That's what we talked about last week. The existence of God is that he exists. We must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God has a personality. He is personal. He is an individual. That God is per, is a, has a personality is indicated in many different ways in Scripture. When Moses wonders how he should respond, he says, I am. In our impersonal society, this may seem to be the case. Names are seldom chosen for their meaning. Rather, parents choose a name because of they happen to like it. The Hebrew approach is quite different, however. A name was chosen very carefully and with attention to his, its significance. So, God is a person. He is infinite, which means that he is not limited by anything. He is unlimitable. In space, it is infinity that God may be thought of from several different angles. First, in terms of space. He uh, is not limited by space. He is outside of even the creation. By time, he, was, he had no beginning and he has no end. He, he existed before time and he will exist when time stops. Will time stop? I think so. I don't know for sure. I think so, though. I'm not, I'm not positive. But if it does, he'll still be there. And the cool thing is, we'll be there with him. That's what's cool. Knowledge. He is infinitely knowledgeable. There is nothing that he does not know. Do you want to just waste a whole afternoon letting your brain expand and then contract and then re-expand again? Think about the fact that God doesn't not know anything. But that's why he's God. He's, he is transcendent. He's beyond time, space, and knowledge. Power. He is infinitely powerful. So if we think, well, God can't do that in my life, we are wrong. See, you're getting the hang of this. Because God can do it. He is infinitely powerful. Now, we're going to get to a moment here in just a moment where we, say, where we can say there are things that God cannot do. Wait a second. Wait a second. That's where things get messed up, but they really don't. Because he is constant. He is constant. Psalm 102 says, They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. He's talking about the universe. And they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. God's intentions as well as his plans are always consistent. His will does not change. Thus, God is ever faithful to his promises. For example, his covenant with Abraham. What then are we to make of those passages where God seems to change his mind or to repent over what he has done? These passages can be explained in several different ways. What may be seen to be changes of mind may actually be new stages in the working out of God's plan. For an example, of this is the offering of salvation to the Gentiles. Gentiles were excluded from his plan for centuries. 
thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, it changed. Did God's plan change? No, it became more fulfilled. It was his plan. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, I believe, where he talks about that when the seed of Abraham comes, that even that all men will come in, have the opportunity to come in. His plan did not change, it just was fulfilled even more. Since some apparent changes of mind are changes of orient, orientation that result when humans move into a different relationship with God, God did not change when Adam sinned. Rather, humankind had moved into God's disfavor. This works the other way as well. Take the case of Nineveh. God said 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed unless they repent. Nineveh repented and was spared. It was humans who had changed, not God's plan. So what we're dealing with is the the dependability of God. He will be the same tomorrow as he is today. He will act as he has promised. He will fulfill his commitments. The believer can rely upon this. Now, I apologize because I said, I made the reference to talking about there's some things that God cannot do. And I said we were going to talk about it in a moment. I was wrong. I'm going to talk about it next week. See, I've been, I already know what's going on over the next couple of weeks. So in my head, I'm already there. You'll have to come back next week to find out what God can't do. Because that's part of next week's lesson. Amen? Let me read these two verses and we'll close. What we are dealing with here is the dependability of God. He is the same tomorrow as He is today. He will act as He has promised. He will fulfill His commitments. The believer can rely upon this. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is dependable. He's huge, he's amazing, he's vast, he's beyond full understanding, and yet he cares about you and will, and will reveal himself to you more and more every day for the rest of eternity. He's transcendent, but yet he's also imminent. He's beyond measure. He's beyond limitations. He is God. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Can I have the prayer partners come forward? Anybody who's uh, signed up to be a prayer, prayer partner and praying for people, come on up. Get ready to do that. We are going to need the chairs taken down, but give them a few minutes. Give them some time to pray for folks first. Fellowship a little bit. Not, not like the last couple of weeks where we did this and everybody left and all the chairs were still up. So kind of time it. Drink some coffee, have some cookies, then come back and, and uh, change the chairs out. That would be awesome. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that, that you have revealed yourself to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that your love for us is beyond our limitation of understanding and that your desire for us goes goes on forever thank you lord that we're a part of that family but lord if we're not a part of our of that family if for some reason there's anyone here or anybody watching by television who doesn't know you father today they can know you today they can have right relationship with you 
Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that that decision could happen right now, right here, not waiting another moment. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to seek after you and to follow you and to submit to you as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.